Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope your day continues to be amazing. Mine started out with more technical difficulties. It's true. I don't I know my 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 iPhone is is getting old. I know, but I keep running into, you know, memory problems and all the, all my memory problems could be solved if I just pay them more money and I don't have money. I just don't just, and on my current situation, just, I just don't, can't pay for it. So it just came, you know, I, I just spent an hour deleting things. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. And yet, so necessary, because I do, like, I need it. I need it, uh, without a doubt, need it, especially in our current situation, traveling in an RV. It's just that necessary. Uh, And also doing this podcast, love doing this podcast, and I need the phone. Keeps everything, keeps everything. Anyways, hope your day is going better than mine is, although currently I found enough memory to, you know, look at my emails. That That's what was started it this morning. I just was, was like, you know, oh, I'll look at my emails real quick before I go to record. And then we cannot download Gmail because it's too much memory. And I was like, no. Anyways, here we are. Emails were uneventful. As most of them usually are, I'm one of those. I'm one of those email people that I, I I can't I can't have unread messages. Like it just it just it's just nope. I can't do it. So I I go through everything. I I, de- I delete promotional material every day. I you know I delete I, I read I read or delete everything that comes in every day. I just I can't I just can't. And and I know because I'm married to one. There are people who you know have. Literally tens of thousands of unopened, unread emails, and they know what they are. You know, they're 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 useless emails that they just never opened because they only open the ones that they want to read, and the rest they just leave there, like some sort of sociopath. I I I I I can't I can't do it. I can't do it. So, with the fact that it wouldn't open, like in my head, I was like, oh my goodness, like if I go days without having to without being able to open, like what what. The backlog, oh my goodness, I could have like a hundred unopened emails. Do you have any idea? You know, anyways, it wasn't quite that kind of panic, uh, but it did, it did cross my mind like, oh my goodness, I, what am I going to do? But everything's cleared up. I will say everything except for one, and I have searched for that one unopened email a, a dozens of times. And I've tried to use the search engine to find the unopened email. I don't know. I don't know where it's buried. I've been through page after page after page of opened emails, you know, trying to find the one that's still not opened. I can't find it. I can't find it. And, and every day when, I, when I'm done closing all my emails at the end of the day and my email cache is so close to empty, but there's one unopened email somewhere in the history of my life. Because I've had this Gmail account for, I don't know, 100 years. I mean, no, it's, okay, maybe not 100, but I've had it for at least, I would say, 14 years. And there's just one. 
drives me crazy. I, and like I said, for others, eh, one would be like, whatever. And, and 10,000 are like, well, whatever. And for me, it's like, I got, there's one. There's still this one. Anyways, enough about my psychological, <laughs> sociopathic OCD issues. Oh, glory. Anyways, welcome to the Epic Narrative. It's good to have you here. As always, we are in the book of Exodus. We are in chapter 19. We are reading as we go along. We learned a lot, I think, last last week about leadership. As a matter of fact, I, I learned a lot about leadership. Just, just walking it out out loud off of the notes, uh, I was like, wow, this is really good stuff on leadership. And I know I didn't necessarily teach a leadership seminar, but I really think you could teach something pretty significant on communal leadership just based on what's there. And I know that many people have used it to teach a hierarchical leadership. And so a lot of it, you know, I as we've been through before, you so much of scripture has to do with the framework in which you come with. You you can't no one has the ability to look at the Bible without some sort of filter. You just can't do it. You just can't. And you can say, well, no, I, I'm, I only look at it academically. And yeah, I know. And then and you miss all the relational stuff. And then you can say, well, I only look at it through, you know, this. And it's like, yeah, and then, then you, that gets skewed. And I, I readily admit my skew, my filter is God is good all the time, all through time. And so when I read this, I read it with those, and when I interpret and translate, I do it with those filters, and I admit it. The, the, the scary part is, is when somebody reads it, translates it, interprets it, applies it, and doesn't admit to any sort of filter except, you know, well, I'm, I'm just right, or we're right, or whatever. Whoever wrote this book is right. Oh, man. Let's stop be that arrogant. I do know arrogance was a hallmark trade of the Christian world for a lot of years because that's just the approach of truth. The, the, the epistemology was there was one, you know, truth. And everybody who found it was now true. The, diff- the problem was everybody kept finding different truths because we all approach it with our own filters. It's, it's just the way it is. And it's okay and here's the cool thing, I think God's okay with it. He he doesn't he doesn't expect us to come to this without our filters. He knows we will. And he's okay with it. He created us. He knows it that we have these things. He the reason why he gives revelation to people is because he knows you're going to bring your personality into that revelation. You're going to bring your filter into that re- revelation and bring more color and 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 pageantry and intricacies to the body of Christ. We're not homogenous. We're not all, you know, the color of milk. We're, we're not just milky white. Yuck. We are a tapestry of beauty, and and when we develop that government of honor and respect and uh, humility, like we talked about last week, that's the kind of thing that allows us to really shine as the kingdom of God, as the body of Christ. 
And so we're going to continue that as we approach the throne of God here, as we approach the mountain of God, sorry, the mountain of God. I titled this uh this episode, you know, ascending to God, because it is a phrase in the verses that we're using, uh, that we're looking at today, ascending to God. It's just so, so um, hierarchical, right? And I know it's something that we, uh, I, we, those of us that listen and, and agree, no, you don't have to agree with me, but those of us that, that, you know, that are here on the Epic Narrative, you know that, you know, hierarchical Stuff is something I kind of rail against and at least beat it up a little bit because we're just so used to it that we don't see it and we just assume, well, I'm not at the top, so I must be under. And God's like, no, no, no. So when I saw that word ascend, I thought, oh, that's that'll be perfect. Ascend, ascending to God. It's such a beautiful thing. Uh, but let's get to that phrase and let's uh, let's break it down because I don't, in the end, it doesn't have to do with hierarchy, but... It is a great phrase. Uh, Verse 1, On the first day of the third month, the Israelites left Egypt. On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After that, they set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai again. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. The mountain. The mountain of God. (laughs) Then Moses went up to God. And God called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are saying to the descendants of Jacob. This is what you are to tell the people of Israel. All right, uh, so we'll get into that when when we get into that because that's really another whole deal. So on the 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 timing of this. Now, last last week, you know, we talked about the fact that Jethro was probably there for a year. Now he showed up. He showed up during this time that they were in the desert. So he showed up you know, f- three months into the journey. And he probably stayed all the way through the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, why isn't that noted in the last chapter? Uh, it's the way Moses writes. That's why. I, I, I can't answer the question. Moses wrote it down. Well, Moses wrote under the inspiration of God. Yes, it's true. He did. He was inspired by God to write down the history God allows the freedom of Moses and the personality of Moses to come through in the writing that Moses, in the way that Moses writes, and there you have it. He wrote it the way he wanted to write it. Last episode in that chapter, we just saw the picture of Jethro. Rather than, rather than you know, bring Jethro into the conversation throughout the next several chapters, he just kind of dealt with the life of Je- uh, the, the time that Jethro was there at the camp. And then he sent him home. But I believe that Jethro is here during this time. Uh, some think that he arrived after the, the law was given. So well, you know, after. And that Moses uh, didn't want to interrupt the story of the, of the law and the story of Exodus with with Jethro being there for a year, so he put it at the front end of the of the giving of the law, so that you you know you he could focus in on one thing. Again, a literary framework. It doesn't really matter. 
whatever Moses, whatever Moses's process was in putting it where he put it, he put it. We read it because in the epic narrative, we just kind of, we not kind of, we roll through chapter by chapter. That's what we did. So that's where it is in the in the story. That's where it is in the book, and that's where we put it in the episode. But I wanted to acknowledge all the other options so that you, as a as a listener and and personal interaction with the scripture, know that just because it's there doesn't mean that that's when it happened, and that's okay. It's okay. And I know that for some, it's very disturbing to think that the in, that because they believe the the scripture is inerrant, the fact that it's you know where it is means that that's exactly when it happened, and yet there's nothing to indicate that that's exactly when it happened. It's just part of the story. So Israel, it says in um, when it says that they entered the desert of Sinai, verse two, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. That word camped, Israel camped, is a, is a word that can mean a few different things, but it's really uh, the, 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 the word here is that they camped as one. It's a singular word, and it speaks of their um, uh implicit excitement and desire to hear from God. Their unified desire to hear from God. They were filled as a as a as a unit, as a community. They were filled with expectation regarding their meeting with God. They were going to the mountain where Moses had met with God at the burning bush. They, are, they had some level of expectation. Now, some probably had realistic expectations. There's always a few that, that just kind of understand, all right, it's going to get crazy. God's big. God's powerful. God is for us. It's here. Let's be, you know, let's pay attention. There were some that came with unrealistic expectations, because there's always those, right? They came with over-the-top expectations about what God was going to do and how how it was going to, you know, how God was going to arrive and what he was going to sound like. And and you, you, when you meet people with those kind of like super over-the-top expectations, they're usually very specific about what they expect and, and, and they get very animated about telling people. And they want everyone to know what to expect, right? You, you've met this. Sometimes you, some of you might have had a parent like this where they just laid out, you're going to Disney, so they're going to lay out all the expectations. You're going to see every princess, and they're going to come up to you, and you're going to get all their autographs, and you're going to see all the, all the villains, and you're going to you know, be able to stand with them. We're going to take pictures with you, and then you're going to go. And they set up these crazy expectations, and anything less than that, and they become, then the, you know, the whole thing is a waste of time. Well, that was a waste of time. We didn't see, we saw, you know, we didn't see two of the, two of the characters. Yeah, but you saw 187 others. Well, those, I didn't see those two, so we shouldn't have come. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> All or nothing type of thing, right? And then there's those who came with incredibly low expectations. Like, what's, what's the big deal? So we're going to meet God at the mountain. What's the big deal? Who really cares? 
What's, you know, what's he going to do? What's going to happen? All that kind of stuff. So you have all those kind of expectations being interwoven into the journey of camping together, but they were together. They all were unified in connecting with God. Now I have, I, I, my, my input into this would be that some were coming to see just how bad God was going to be as a master. They had an expectation that when God actually showed up, they were all going to get, you know, beat into submission. That this whole three months of camping out, hanging out, uh, you know, figuring life out, getting bread in the morning and getting meat at night and, uh, you know, the water from the, from the mountain and all this stuff, like all of this, somebody's got to pay for this. And when God shows up, we're going to pay for it. You don't think he's, you don't think he's just going to give us food. No master gives us food for nothing. Right. We all, we all have something here. We have to be careful of. We all got something we got to pay for. It's, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's a fair expectation from a slave mentality. It just is. But you know that some of them were expecting God to show up and everybody was going to pay. We were all going to get something. And some were filled with, with such hope and purpose and expectation for, you know, the promised future. They were all excited God was going to show up and he was going to plow forward and give them the land and, and everybody was going to to come into submission to their God. And, and they, the Israelites, were going to rule the world. And they were talking crazy talk of like, I'm going to, I want to rule over this land. And I'm going to, I've heard that there's, uh, you know, this over there. I, I'm going to go back to Babylon where Abraham was from. And I'm going to do that. And I'm, I'm going back to Egypt. I'm going to run that place. You know, God's going to show up and he's just going to, He's just going to blow everyone away. I mean, clearly he's got the power to do it, and, and he's on our side. I mean, there's, there's just all of this craziness that's going on. And, and so in the, in the camping out together, everybody's in these conversations. Everybody's got these high expectations, low expectations, hopeful expectations, um, scary expectation, fearful expectation, uh, purposeful expectation, the futuristic expectations, it's all layered into what they're doing here, and that is they're setting up camp in front of the mountain. But they were all coming to, with, with together. And in being together, they were together. They were unified. They knew that this was the place where the burning bush encounter occurred, and that encounter changed their world. And now they were all expecting a burning bush encounter. And maybe they just all expected a little thing, you know, a little burning bush. Maybe they, you know, what, I don't know. And that's where it's kind of fun to read these sort of things and think about it as you're listening along, right? You, you get to think about what, what would your expectations be after coming out of slavery, I know we I know we like to think of ourselves as the ones who would be the highly the highly enlightened, you know. We'd be like, "Oh, this is going to be a delightful time with God the Father. He's a wonderful father, a good God, and we're going to all be wonderful." And just you wait. And and then we would just be so disappointed in the way that most people reacted. We'd be like, "Oh, I would ne I would never behave that way." Well, good for you. 
Verse 3, then Moses went up, then Moses ascended to God. Now, that is a very dramatic word. It's, 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 it's most poetic uh, to go up, to leap, to jump, to be drawn up, even carried away upward. Moses went up. Moses ascended to God. Moses was carried away with the presence of God. Uh, Moses floated. No, did he float? No, I don't think so. It doesn't really carry that, but it is that idea that it could, like he was carried away into the presence of God. He ascended. It's very similar to to what Solomon claims uh, later on in life, where he ascended into worship, and people literally would watch him worship because he would ascend into the heavenlies. And, and there is, as far as Solomon's uh, description goes, there is room in the, in the literature for him to actually have gone to heaven. And some would contend that that's where he is all, a lot of his riches came from, is he actually brought riches from heaven down, which is why no one could compare to the riches of Israel at that time, because their access to riches were not only in the natural, but also in the supernatural. But that's another whole story. We'll get there eventually. All right. So um, he, I think Moses goes up, ascends, puts that poeticness in the literature because he knew God. He knows what's going to meet him. He has been in the presence of God. He has had multiple conversations with God. He knows this is going to be an amazing time. And I think he's excited. I mean, and and he's been waiting for this kind of one-on-one appointment, uh, personal appointment since chapter three. Uh, what was it? Verse 12, where he says, God says, I will meet you here again and the nation will worship me. So Moses is like, this is a fulfillment place. This is a place where, you know, we finally uh, commence or end. Or like, I, I have a, I have a sense that he kind of figured this was the end of it. Like we've been out here for three months, kind of got our feet wet. We're we're kind of working together as a unit. Where uh, you know, um, I think things are going to work out good. I, this is this is it. Um, I think in a lot of ways, Moses is looking for help and, and he looked in looking forward to what God's going to give him. He's thinking God's going to, you know, to reveal the law so that every, everything will be right. I won't have to be winging it anymore. And I got God on my side. God's got my back. So he's. He has these guiding principles to work with when he's done talking with God, and he can instruct the leaders and the people. And Moses has expectation and he has anticipation. And now of now he has this day of encounter in front of him. And you we have all we've all been in those places. You're full of hope, you're full of purpose, you're full of destiny. You think this is gonna be the amazingness that I've always wanted it to be. Some of you have this, it's like I don't know, you build a house or you buy a house and and you can interact with that whole scenario so many times, but then there's that day 
of moving in. There's that day where you have the certificate of occupancy. There's that day where it's like, this is the new house. And you have all of this expectation and anticipation and, and all your hopes. And then and then you have to deal with the reality of what actually is, you know, what does happen. And and I know it's, it's a big difference in dealing with your house and dealing with God. God God goes way over the top on this, right? His his interactions, as we'll see over the next several chapters, are pretty spectacular. They're pretty out there. But I think I think you know Moses Moses is pretty excited for this day. And part of it I think is he figures, hey, in a few months this is all going to be over. We'll all be in the new land. We'll all be, you know, in our new homes. We'll be able to set up a permanent camp. And I do believe somewhere in there, he also still believes that God's going to conquer and destroy all the lives of those who are currently in the land and all the lives of those who don't agree to come into submission to the king of kings. So, so the, the tradition, oral tradition says that Moses would go up in the morning, he'd spend the day with God, he would return in the evening, and he would relay to the people God's words. And then during the night or early in the morning, he would receive their answers from the elders and the leaders. He'd go back up to the mountain. God would, God would, uh, he would give God their response, and then he would hear from God again, and then that would be repeated over and over again. So this is the the first uh, round of communication that kind of this this is really this is why I wanted to I did want to read it as part of the I want to read it separately because this next few verses sets the filter through which all of the law needs to be understood. We, we need to be really careful here because, because without this filter, the law becomes religion and God becomes evil. Well, at least bipolar. We have to be, we have to, we have to. <laughs> okay, you don't have to. I know, I just, I got the, <laughs> Bob's like, uh, didn't you cover that at the beginning? Yes, I did. You don't have to. This is really important from my perspective. There you go. From my perspective, these verses really are important because he says, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he's saying, listen, I, first, first, I want, first thing I want you to do is remember who you are. You are descendants of Jacob, of Abraham. You come from a long line of uh, a long years, many long heritage, a long heritage, sorry, not long line, a long heritage of people, starting with Abraham, who owned no land but would but would fill the nations with his descendants. 
And when he says, remember what I, what I did to Egypt, how I carried you out on eagle's wings, he's saying, he's not saying, remember how I killed everyone in Egypt. He, he is saying, remember, I protected you from evil. I protected you from what other people were reaping because of all they had sown into, the, into darkness. Remember what I did to Egypt. Not remember that I killed everyone. Remember, I invited Egypt into an opportunity to worship me. I invited Egypt into an opportunity to rescind and walk away from the, the evil results that were headed their way. That's what I do. This, this is why this part's important to me. From my perspective, God's reminding Israel, this is how the kingdom of God behaves. We provide hope. We provide uh, protection. We provide love. We provide light. That's what I do. And if you obey me, if you and I stay in covenant, in relationship together, if you hear that's what the word obey means. If you hear me, if you listen well, you are going to reap the benefits of being the first nation to do so. You will be treasured. You, what, is it, what does that mean? You're going to be set apart. You're going to be a jewel. You're going to be seen as separated because you're the first nation to do this. You're the first nation to be invited to do this. Your, your descendants are going to infiltrate the nations of the world. God's not promising any land. Yes, they're going to be a nation. But he's like this is this the world's going to be the world's going to be impacted by you because you're going to be everywhere. You're going to call nations to me. Right? He said, what, what have you said? I carried you. I, uh, this is what your descendants of Jacob, I carried you on eagle, eagle's wings and brought you, sorry, and brought you to myself. This is what you're going to do to all the nations. They're, the nations that follow you are going are to be called to me. Your example is going to be one that is going to bring them life and not destroy them. This is, this is the concept of, of the kingdom of God. You're going to bring life to everyone who follows your example. Nothing in this language indicates that God's telling Israel, listen, I'm going to prepare you for battle so that you can wipe out and destroy all the people who disagree with me and you can bring into enslavement all the nations to the, you know, to the principles of the kingdom of God and to a religion of, uh, you know, of sacrifice and temple worship. Because that's the only way that this, you know, that this plan moves forward. God is, is really keeping this very highly relational and, and, and impactful on a community sense. In verse, yeah, in verse six, you, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You will be priests. What are priests? Priests are people who guide others in making a connection to God. Priests are, 
are known and seen amongst the people. They are, they are marked. So no matter where they go, they are observed. Now, I do know that some people like to mark themselves through the way that they dress. And for years, uh, you know, well, all throughout the, there's, yeah, all through, all throughout anthropology, any religious leader was, they, you know, they had a headdress or they had uh, earrings or nose rings or neck, neck rings or necklaces or shoes or hats or all of the above, collars, um, robes, sashes. There's all kinds of ways to mark the priest, to mark the one who is going to help others in their connection to God whatever God they might be worshiping or following, there was a way to mark them. And God's saying, listen, you're going to be a nation of marked people that are going to help others make their connection to me. You're going to lead others. Why or how? Uh, by your example. That's what they're going to do. They're going to follow you. They're going to observe you because you're going to be marked and they're going to be drawn to me. A holy nation means that everyone is called into this relationship. Everyone is to represent God, the creator, to his creation and show God's image on earth. Everyone's being called to this. This is what God's communicating to Moses the first time they meet. He's like, this is, this is what I want, to, want them to understand. I'm not putting together a new dynasty I'm not putting together a kingdom like you would know on earth. I'm putting putting together a kingdom as it is in heaven in which everyone is a priest. Everyone brings the opportunity for all those who don't know me to know me. Everyone will see my example of what I did to Egypt in that I take those that are headed toward destruction and I give them an opportunity for life. I take the opportunity that the evil one is bringing to destroy a nation and I bring opportunity to do the exact opposite and bring a nation into submission to the kingdom of God so that they can influence even more people. Just think about the impact that Egypt would have had if Israel, you know, if, if they had followed Israel, if they hadn't fought if they had, you know, fought Israel, if they had actually taken the on-ramp, you would literally, it's, 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 it's exponential. It's not just now we have two nations, it's the exponential influence of two nations impacting even more nations because, because of who God is and the way God operates. It's, it's a fascinating concept. And it's one that God still loves because he didn't invent this. He is this. Everyone means it's not a hierarchy. Everyone means we all are part of a holy nature, a holy nation, not just the priests. I mean, that's that was always the expectation, right? In a hierarchical mindset, the priests have a higher role, a different call than all the normal people. And the priests 
get to do special things. They get to interact with God. They get to see God. They get to talk with God. They get to instruct us about God. But we, we, we're just, you know, we're just lowly people. We just need, we just need enough connection to God to survive. That's, that's what the slave mentality does. And that's what a hierarchical system will keep in place because hierarchies like to stay on top. But God is making it clear, I'm not putting together a hierarchy. Everyone's a priest. And these are the things that need to be taught and spoken to the nation. These are the things that need to be exampled for all the world to watch. Because I'm not doing this by forced submission and compliance like some form of a new pharaoh. I need to make it really clear that this is a huge shift. So the first the first thing you're going to communicate to them is this is a big shift. This is this is not a new yeah, a new kingdom on earth. This is a new heaven on earth. But as the people hear these words, as Moses hears these words, do they get it? Do they understand what God's trying to say? Right? Did Moses communicate the words clearly? Did the vocabulary translate when he went down and started to explain to people what God had said? Did he, did he explain the heart of God clearly? And as it got disseminated from leadership to people, did some of those in leadership try to protect their leadership role? You know, did they did they couch it like saying, "Listen, God's God's going to call us all priests when you know when we know when we all know enough, right?" Did they did they try to foster some level of dependence on the priesthood, dependence on the leadership, rather than dependence on God? Listen, we've all heard words of God and miss the truth. We've all done it. And I know if you if you're any sort of um, uh, uh, any sort of person who's aware of this Bible story, you know what happens. You you know where I'm going with this because I don't I don't think it got communicated as clearly as what I think God wanted it to be. I think it got filtered by people who in their heart of hearts wanted to do what's best for the people that were hearing these words, and they really didn't think that God could be that good. They really didn't think that communicable leadership of a nation, relational qualifications of judges, etc., could really work without somebody making a fine, you know, the, the, the being on top without some form of hierarchy. But we're just we're just going to stop right here because because we're just going to ask ourselves, you know, did they get it? Did they communicate it right? Did they receive it the way God meant it? And we won't find out until next week on the Epic Narrative. Thanks again for being here today. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob thoughts. 
Hey, good morning, everybody. Just wanted to uh, tell you, you know, the so much about what we did today was the kind of rethinking about God, which is technically theology. Theology is a study of God, and that's what we worked on today. Uh, if you wanted a te- you know a, an academic term for it, we do it all the time. We reconsider what God was saying. We reconsider his approach because we believe God is good and always has been good, that he looks just like Jesus. And Jesus is perfect theology. So we approach, that's the filter we approach God with here at the Epic Narrative. So it should come as no surprise that I hooked up with a group of people called Rethinking God with Tacos. Now, I'm not quite sure how the name came about, but I find the online communication with them to be quite enjoyable. And in doing so, I mentioned my podcast a couple times as people asked about specific passages that we've already dealt with. And the administrators of that page reached out to me and said, hey, could you be on our podcast? Now, I had never heard of their podcast, but they have their own podcast. And they asked me to be a part of it for one of their episodes, and that's coming up. So at the time of this recording, it's coming up in a couple weeks, February 28th, 2024. It's at two o'clock in the afternoon, or I think it's at two o'clock Eastern Eastern time. I'll get I'll get more details out online. I'll post about it. But just wanted you guys to know, rethinking about God is not dangerous. It's it's actually really healthy. It's the way that theology uh, has been done for years until we got to America, basically, and the Western mindset was. There can only be one. There can only be one way. There can only be one thought on top. And then it became a political and academic battle to be the one on top. But theology was designed to be conversational because God's big enough to handle that. And if you're pursuing God and rethinking about God and reconsidering things and conversating more about it, then you will see the results of that. And it'll be pretty exciting because you're going to get closer to God. You're going to hear more about him and you're going to have more friends because the dialogue will be sweet and grace-filled and hope-filled because that's the way God is. Anyways, hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'm excited to be on somebody else's podcast and um, I look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, uh, yeah, enjoy your day. Enjoy your family as we have enjoyed having you on the Epic Narrative. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.